I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You are standing in front of somebody that knows you and knows you pretty well. You're out in a shopping center, grocery store, etc., out in public, and standing in front of somebody that, that knows you, but they were not anticipating that you were going to be there. You just sort of see them in a crowd and walk up to them. And you stare them right in the face. And they stare you right in the face. And they do not recognize you. And you say hi. And they look right past you. And it's frustrating. And so you smile and you say hi again and they just look past you again. So then you begin to decide that you've got to get more involved in the conversation to try to get their attention. So you begin to move your hands in their face and you call them by name and they continue to look past you and suddenly it dawns on them that they do know you. Have you ever had that kind of an experience? It's rather frustrating, isn't it, to try to communicate that way. Well, Jesus had the same problem. When He showed up on this earth and He launched His public ministry... He stood in front of folks as God's Son, the Messiah, and He had people that were looking at Him, but they weren't seeing Him for who He was. In fact, some folks were so busy looking in the back of the history of Israel and talking about how great the temple used to be and how wonderful it was when they had the temple in Jerusalem that they looked right past Jesus. And then there were other folks that they were so busy looking forward in their lives and looking forward to the day that the Messiah would come, that they didn't see Jesus either. They had this preconceived notion of what the Messiah would look like and be like, and so when Jesus was right in front of them, they didn't see Jesus either. And Jesus stood in front of them and He said... The kingdom is not in the past. The kingdom of God is not just in the future. The kingdom of God is right here, right now. The king is right here and right now. It's all here in front of you right now. Don't look past me. Look into me and experience the kingdom right now. And you and I have to be careful that often when we relate to Jesus, we're not so busy looking in the past or looking in the future that we miss what God's doing right in front of us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. The story that we're going to look at today takes place in the region called Galilee. Galilee was the most populated providence at that time in the Middle East. The length of Galilee stretched a distance roughly comparative from Martinsville to Roanoke, about that amount of distance in length. It was about 15 miles wide. It had a population of 15,000 people, which back in those days would have been considered quite a population. One of the reasons that Jesus centered so much of His ministry in Galilee was because it put Him in proximity with the largest group of people in that part of the world at that time. In the center of Galilee is what's called the Sea of Galilee. Large, large lakes surrounded by mountains that sort of created an own, being like its own little bubble, if you would speak, or its own little world. 
And Jesus' ministry is by and large centered in Galilee. Throughout His ministry, He takes what we call three tours of Galilee as He goes through all the various little cities and villages, etc., doing all the ministries that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's where this story begins because Jesus is launching His public ministry there in Galilee, verses 14 and 15 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. My sermon outline is contained on the back page of your bulletin, and I invite you to follow along with me if you'll do that. I want you to see first here that the King has come. It says in verse 14, Jesus came. Notice when He came. After John was arrested, John was his cousin. They had grown up together. They were really more like brothers than they were cousins. They had shared a whole lot of time together as kids, playing around in that hot Palestinian sun. Family reunions, day in and day out, together as cousins. John was arrested. And Jesus knew that John's days of being out in public were over with. He knew where the arrest was eventually going to lead. But Jesus did not allow the crisis of John's arrest to stop him from fulfilling the call of God on his life. You see, Jesus could have looked at John and said, man, John's my cousin, and John and I grew up together, and John loves the Lord, and John's, I mean, God's hand's been on John. Lord, why, Father God, why would you allow this to happen to John? Wrapped, could have become wrapped up in disillusionment, bitterness, and anger against God for allowing that to happen to his cousin. But what Jesus recognized is that with John's arrest and the grief of it and the crisis of it, it was time now for him to step out and to fulfill and live out the call of God. And you see so many times when we have crisis events in our lives, if we're not careful, we allow the crisis to overtake us in life. We allow the crisis and the grief associated with it to drown out the call of God, and we begin to become stifled in life. Rather than saying, God, in the middle of this, you're beyond this. You are over this. You are greater than this. You have a call that supersedes what I'm going through now. And Lord, instead of letting the crisis overwhelm me, instead of letting the grief overwhelm me, I'm going to answer your call and I'm going to move out and become the person that you are calling to me to be at this point. Because your grace, God, is greater than the crisis that I'm going through. Jesus came. There is hope when Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, He invades 
our space. When Jesus comes, He interrupts everything. Jesus came. There is hope when Jesus comes. Notice His message, verse 14. It says, He came proclaiming the gospel. He came proclaiming the gospel. The word proclaim there is a Greek word that carries several nuances in it. The first is the idea of boldness. Jesus walked out there and He began to proclaim the gospel with boldness. Now what is so significant about that? His cousin had just gotten arrested for proclaiming the message of God with boldness. Man, how Jesus could have been intimidated. They probably know that John and I are cousins. If I'm out here with the same message that John had, I'm probably going to get arrested just like my cousin just got arrested. Satan loves to use intimidation to keep us from sharing the news about Jesus. I think one of the most effective means that he has of shutting us down is intimidation. What are people going to say? What are people going to do? What's going to happen to you if you share the Lord Jesus with people? But when he says he went around proclaiming, he walked out of there with boldness. How could he have that boldness? Because like I told the kids earlier, the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And when the Holy Spirit of God is released through us, the Spirit of God will give us a holy boldness to share Jesus with folks. It means also, the word proclaim, that he was getting people in touch with reality. He was opening their eyes. You see, reality is what God's doing. Reality is what the Lord is doing. And Jesus is basically saying, folks, God is on the move. Get in touch with Him. The kingdom of God is right here in front of you, right around you. Get in touch with it. Now the folks were very in touch with two other things. Many of them were in touch with the power of the Roman Empire. Rome ruled the world. Everywhere you went on a Palestinian street or Judean countryside, you were not very far away from a Roman legion. That was very intentional on the part of Rome. When they took over a country, when they took over a people, they would place their soldiers out there with swords, you name it. When Paul talks about the armor of God, he's pulling it right off of a Roman soldier that he would have been attached to. And it was Rome's way of saying to everybody they conquered, we are right around you, and if you don't listen to us and do what we want you to do, we can kill you. You better listen. So the folks were very in touch with Rome and the kingdom of Rome. And Jesus is saying there's another kingdom that's shown up. My kingdom. And my kingdom is right in front of you. And my kingdom is greater than the power of Rome. The second thing is that folks in those days were very in touch with first century Judaism. And first century Judaism had really fallen on some hard times. It was all about ritual. It was all about following certain traditions. It was all about keeping all the rules. It had become very dead. And people tended to associate 
faith and issues of religion and the whole business with God as being very distant and very dead. And Jesus is trying to say to them, listen, the kingdom of God is not bound up in this dead faith that is nothing but traditions that you see. It is not bound up in the hypocrisy that you see in the leaders of Judaism today. I want you to understand that the kingdom of God is present right here, right now. You've got to look beyond the dead religion. You've got to look beyond the power of the Roman government to see the kingdom right now. Proclaiming what? Proclaiming the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It was a word that was used to speak of victory. The good news of victory. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to proclaim to you the gospel, the good news of God's victory. Now Jesus said in another place that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Shall set you free. So when He went around proclaiming the gospel, what Jesus was doing is He says, I've shown up to set you free. I'm sharing a message with you that's going to set you free. Now as his message in his life and his ministry begin to unfold, he set people free from sickness, he set them free from the powers of darkness, he set them free from the powers of death. But the biggest thing Jesus did was he set them free in their hearts and in their minds, in their thinking. He got them thinking freedom. And if you and I think freedom, we will start acting freedom. And if we start acting freedom, we will begin to feel freedom. Ministry of Jesus is all about deliverance. Deliverance from bondage into freedom. So what is He proclaiming? He's proclaiming the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is truth. And what is the impact of truth? It sets us free. See, one of the greatest areas of bondage that you and I tend to walk around in is the bondage of our identity. And that is that we act and feel something other than being in Christ. When I begin to think like I'm in Christ, and I begin to act like I'm in Christ, and I begin to feel like I'm in Christ, I'm going to begin to act and think in freedom. But when I act and think something else, when I'm thinking that I am controlled by something else and something else has got a hold of my destiny, I start living and acting in bondage. He was proclaiming the gospel because the gospel sets us free. Now notice, he says the kingdom is present. Verse 15, he opens that statement by saying the time is fulfilled. The word fulfilled there carries the idea that time is filled with significance. What Jesus is trying to say to him is, listen folks, look at me, listen to me, because right in front of you, something big is happening. Something important is happening. Something significant is happening. Something eternal is happening. Something that bounds up the destiny of your life while you were placed in this universe is happening. Anytime you get around Jesus... It's a significant place in a significant time. Anytime we are in the presence of the Lord, it is a significant place. It is a significant time. And he's trying to say, grasp hold of the minute. Understand the moment when you are in my presence, in the presence of my kingdom. It is significant. Notice he says, the time is at hand. The kingdom is where? At hand. It is the idea of the kingdom of God is literally within grasp. 
you can reach out and you can touch the kingdom of God. You can feel the kingdom of God. You can be impacted by the kingdom of God. It is within your grasp. Now, what is the kingdom of God? All throughout the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll hear the term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of God? Well, let me give you some ideas. Number one, this is so profound. A kingdom is a king and his subjects. Period. When I said the profound part, I was joking. All right. The kingdom is a king and his subjects. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, he's saying, I'm the king. You have the opportunity to become part of my kingdom, my subjects. And I'm going to rule and reign around you and in you. And that's my kingdom. I'm the king. You can become my subjects. And I'm going to rule and reign around you and in you. Folks, let me share something about his rule and his reign. Wherever Jesus is ruling, wherever Jesus is reigning, you will not have the rule and the reign of the kingdom of darkness. His reign pushes away the kingdom of darkness. What does the kingdom look like and sound like? Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. First of all, he says that the kingdom of God is righteousness. That's one of those great big long Bible words. What world is it talking about? It simply means this. That the righteousness of the Lord, which is what His kingdom is about, is that I live under the authority of God's Word. And that impacts two areas of my life. First of all, it impacts my actions. What I do, what I say, is under the authority of His Word. Secondly, it impacts my attitude. The way that I express myself. Now, I've met some people over, the, over my ministry that I have noticed that they are mad for Jesus. They're always walking around with an attitude. Have you ever known people like that? When you walk down the corridors of the church and you see them coming, you don't say, man, I can't wait to talk to them. What you do is, where's the bathroom or where's the closet or a Sunday school class or office or something I can go hide in and get away because they're going to be spilling attitude and I don't want to be around when they start spilling their attitude. Just in a bad mood, etc. all the time. You see, when Jesus impacts my life, it's going to show up in my attitude. It's going to show up on my face. And when it shows up on my face, there's going to be a smile there. If you want to attract people to Jesus, it's a smile that draws people to Jesus. It's a laugh that draws people to Jesus. So living in His righteousness means it shows up on my face. Now another reason it shows up on my face is I start making right decisions. I start living life right so I'm not worried about what's catching up behind me. And so I can start living with a smile on my face because I'm not worried of what's going to catch up with me and get me in trouble. That's that freedom that I'm talking about. Righteousness. Next thing he says, it's, it is peace. Peace is the idea of wholeness, 
completeness, eternal purpose. It means I'm not living in anger. I'm not living in bitterness. I'm not living in resentment. His peace means there's a wholeness that God's bringing to my life. A completeness that God's bringing to my life. And His peace also means that I'm discerning the season that God has me in. Every person I'm talking to this morning, God's got you in a season. Now sometimes we recognize that season and sometimes we don't. And God changes the seasons without asking for our permission. Have you noticed that? The other thing I've noticed is that every time I get comfortable in a season, the Lord says, that season is coming to a close. I remember when we were living in Powhatan County and I was pastoring Red Lane Baptist Church. We had our dream house. We bought a home, it was four and a half acres out in Powhatan County. We had a pond behind our house that was about four acres that we shared with our neighbors. I could go out there and fish anytime I wanted to. I could get in a, a paddle boat or canoe and go out there. And it was quiet, it was beautiful, it was serene. It was like our own little retreat. And I remember laying in bed one morning and saying, God, this house is so nice and this place is so nice and the pond and all that is so nice. And I just really been enjoying it. It was like the Lord just spoke to me and said, David, you enjoy it, you soak it up, because it's not going to last much longer. <laughs> and sure enough, God called us to the inner city of Norfolk and Chesapeake, and we sold that, and we moved, and I got a postage stamp size yard, and I had plenty of traffic down the road all the time, et cetera, et cetera, and just changed it all. You know, one of the things, I'm, people have been asking me if I'm enjoying living in Franklin County, and I had an experience the other day here across in the street that just spoke to me of the difference of where we're living. I got ready to cross Church Street, and a guy was coming up Church Street, and he stopped the car to let me cross Church Street. And he waved to me. And I was almost in shock. Because what I'm used to is they hit the gas and try to run you down. And they do use their fingers to greet you, but it is not a nice wave, and I'll leave it at that. And I said, I'm somewhere different. I didn't get run over, and I didn't get finger signs and all that kind of stuff. The peace of God... Discovering and living in the season that God's got for you. It says righteousness, peace, and then joy. The joy is satisfaction in Jesus. And the joy, the best way to understand this joy is if you go and you look when Jesus rose from the dead, what the people were like that morning, that's the kind of joy he's talking about here. When they realized that he was alive and he was walking around and he had conquered everything they had thrown at him and he was with them forever... They realized that he had conquered their sin, conquered their guilt. He had conquered the Roman government. He had conquered first city Jerusalem, first, excuse me, first century Judaism. He had conquered all that stuff. He had conquered death, which meant that when they faced death, Jesus had already conquered the death that they would face. So death might be greater than them, but death would not be greater than Jesus. So they didn't need to fear death anymore because death was now the servant 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and would do whatever Jesus told death to do. He had conquered everything. Man, they had smiles on their faces. They had energy they had never known. I like to say the joy of the resurrection had shown up on their face. That's the idea of the joy of the Lord. Does that mean we still have problems in the serving Him? Does that mean that His kingdom is problem-free? Of course not. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered, notice these words, worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. For which you are also suffering. The kingdom of God brings the righteousness, it brings the joy, it brings the peace. But yes, the kingdom of God also brings suffering. This week in Egypt, 22 Christians were shot to death in a bus by ISIS because they name the name of Jesus. Prior to that, two churches in Egypt were bombed on Sunday morning during worship because they name the name of Jesus. There is suffering associated with the kingdom of God. And why is that? Because the kingdom of God is always in conflict with the kingdom of darkness. Till Jesus comes again, there are two kingdoms on this earth. His kingdom and the kingdom of darkness, and they are at war with each other. Bible calls it spiritual warfare. And we need not be naive that when we serve Him and we are in His kingdom, we're going to be in spiritual warfare. The question is not when it's coming. The question is, it's going to come. Are we ready for it? Because the kingdom of light is always in conflict with the kingdom of darkness. And we got to live like we're in spiritual warfare. And we got to stay prayed up and in the Word like we are in spiritual warfare. But the greatest conflict often that we face in His kingdom is the kingdom inside of us fighting His kingdom. Now let me explain what I mean by that. All too often, without even realizing it, we get set up in trying to set up our own kingdom. And when we get caught up in trying to set up our own kingdom, we end up in conflict with His kingdom. And it is easy often to use His name to try to advance our kingdom. I'm doing this for the Lord. When in reality, I'm really doing this for myself. This is about Jesus, but in reality, it's not. It's really about me. I'm more concerned about getting my way than I am bringing glory to Him. How do we know when we're really pushing our kingdom instead of His? These are some of the signs. 
we get filled with anger. Our decisions are being dictated by fear. We harbor resentment inside of us. We get worn down trying to advance his king, our kingdom and our strength. And you see, when somebody threatens our kingdom, then we get upset about it. I've been in pastoral ministry for 30 years, and this is one thing I've observed over the years in churches. Churches will say, we want to grow, and we want to attract new people, and we want to reach our community for Jesus. And that sounds great. We're going to build God's kingdom. And then those people start showing up. And some of the people that show up or a bunch of the people that show up, they take our seat on Sunday morning. we got to move somewhere else. They take our parking place out in the parking lot. They crowd bathrooms that we need to get into. They have thoughts and ideas that we really weren't anticipating. And on and on and on it can go. And, and all that begins to create stress. And it's easy to start saying, I'm not sure I want all these people and all the differences they're bringing. And what we've done without even realizing it is sort of become our kingdom. Instead of Jesus' kingdom. Because if it's Jesus' kingdom, whoever walks in the door, whatever they look like, sound like, smell like, whether they take our parking place, get in our way or whatever, it's His kingdom. And He builds His kingdom the way He wants to. And my job is just to rejoice with Him and join Him in the way that He's building His kingdom. And say, Lord, how can I be a part of that? And how can I go the distance with you with that? Because God, my, my ultimate thing is to see that Jesus is honored and Jesus is glorified and people come to know Jesus and fall in love with Jesus. I was at jail ministry last night. We got two places for people to sit. The tables are filling up. I'm praying that it comes a time that I get to sit in the floor over at the jail, because we got so many guys over there that are filling up all the seats. Because, you see, my kingdom is not about whether I get to go in and have a seat or not, because I'm the pastor of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, and I should have a seat when I go to jail ministry. That's not the issue. The issue is, let's get more guys in there to hear about Jesus. Whose kingdom? Now, notice what Jesus says in verse 15. He says, if you're going to come into my kingdom, you've got to do two things. Number one, you've got to repent. It means to change your mind, to go in a different direction. It also means to come to your senses. And then he says, you've got to believe. What does it mean to believe? It's not just intellectual assent. Believing is committing all I am to all that Jesus is. Believing is committing all that I am to all that Jesus is. It's like getting in a boat... And going across the water, i, I got to commit my safety and all that I am to that boat. I'm committing all that I am to all that Jesus is. Notice Jesus ties repentance and belief together. He does not separate them. We like to separate them. He doesn't. He says, you got to repent. you got to start going in a new direction with me. 
You got to believe. You got to commit all you are to all that I am. And when you do that, Jesus says, you become part of my kingdom. And he says, it's right here. It's right now. See it. Recognize it. And become part of it. Let's pray. Lord, we want to ask you to help us become part of your kingdom. To move with you in what you were doing. Lord, to be in touch with you and what you're doing around us and in us. To be in touch, Lord, with folks that you bring across our path that, God, they're not there by accident. You are wanting to do a work in their life and we can join you in that. Lord, help us to to join you in that, to be part of your kingdom. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and today you want to repent, change and turn and go in a different direction with Him, today you want to commit all that you are to all that He is. You say, well, pastor, some of the stuff that's in my life, I, I don't think Jesus wants. He wants you. He died for you. And He loves you the way you are, and He wants to take you and change your life if you'll let Him. I want to invite you, while we sing in just a moment, to to walk down the aisle of this church. I would love to take your hand and pray with you today about giving your life to Jesus and knowing Him and following Him. And if you're here today as we sing, and you say, you know, Pastor, I, I realize that I've been building my kingdom, maybe even in His name, And I need to get out of my kingdom and get with His. It's all been about me, trying to get God to bless my ideas and my thing. And I just need to surrender to Him and yield to Him and say, Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom. Then I invite you to pray while we sing and just surrender yourself fully to Him. If the Lord's speaking to you and saying, I want you to be part of this church family and serve the Lord in this place with these folks, then why don't you come? If you're here today and God is speaking to you and saying, I want you full-time ministry. I'm calling you. Serve me in the ministry. And why not say yes to Him today? Lord, have your way with us in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.